0: Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. This can be found on page 983 of your Pew Bible. Jesus uses a parable about a wedding feast to illustrate God's gracious invitation to participate in his kingdom and the tragic consequences for those who refuse to receive him. A reading from Matthew chapter 22, beginning with the first verse. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to them, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word.
1: If you ever take a class on public speaking, one of the things the instructor will tell you is know your audience. And I've been thinking about that lately as our world changes and as our pews fill on any given Sunday, I'm trying to figure out how to know my audience as a gospel communicator, as a preacher. And realizing as our world changes on any given Sunday, there are really two types, two groups of people who fill these pews. And I'm not talking about the divisions and the categories that might be coming to mind, the ways that we're dividing as a culture right now. No, I'm thinking more of of these categories, insiders and outsiders. What I mean by that is insiders uh, who might maybe have been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you feel a level of ownership in the church. Maybe you've been in leadership in the church. That'd be an insider, religious insider, And then outsiders are people who are brand new to this stuff. We see people coming all the time to our church who did not grow up in a Christian home or didn't go to a Christian school or were not exposed, and they're hearing all this stuff for the first time. Or maybe it's more social. Maybe the outsider, you just kind of wonder if these are your people. I don't know if I fit in here. I try to think about how the gospel is communicated to both groups, both to the insiders, And the outsiders on any given Sunday. I'm having this in my mind because of today's parable where Jesus seems clearly interested in both of these groups. He had two types of audiences when he taught his parables the insiders and the outsiders, the Pharisees and prostitutes, religious leaders and tax collectors. Sometimes hearing the same parable, the same teachings at the same time. I don't know about you. I don't know where you would identify yourself as an insider, maybe as an outsider. But in our scripture today, Jesus has a word for all of us. In fact, he has more than a word for all of us. He has a warning and an invitation. Whether you're an insider or an outsider, the title of today's sermon is the provocative prophet. He provokes All of us, whether we consider ourselves an insider or an outsider, we were laughing this morning at the title of the sermon and saying, nobody's safe today (laughs) from the warning of Jesus. But I hope nobody also escapes the invitation from Jesus. So let's look at this parable together today. Matthew 22, beginning with the first verse. Jesus, again, spoke to them in parables. A parable is simply a, it's like a picture that points to truth. He spoke to them in parable saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Parable is that of a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, I've heard it said that the Bible is the story of God's search for a suitable bride for his son. Maybe you've heard that before. The Bible is the story of God's search for a suitable bride for his son. Indeed, there's a common thread that goes throughout all of Scripture that describes this love of God, almost like it's a marriage. He's trying to tell us how much he loves us. He wants to be in a covenantal relationship with us, like a groom takes a bride to himself so that they can be together forever. This is the image throughout scripture. In Isaiah, for example, it says that when the Messiah comes, when someday when King Jesus comes into the world, it'll be like a great feast, and people from all nations will come to this feast. And then in Revelation, which is at the end of the Bible, we learn more about that feast. It's not just a party, any old party. It's a marriage feast. Revelation calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we learn that God's plan is to take us like a bride to himself, like a groom would. And we see this throughout scripture as a common motif, a wedding feast, Jesus says. What's he trying to tell us here? Yes, that he loves us and he wants to be in covenantal relationship with us. But the feast itself is also a picture that points to truth. We call them wedding receptions nowadays. But in Jesus' time, they were called wedding feasts and they would last for days. What we still have in common with those ancient feasts is that they're usually lavish, bountiful, tasty, costly. I go to a lot of wedding receptions. I'm a pastor. I was thinking maybe the musicians go to more weddings than I do, but I, I go to so many weddings, right? I was thinking, why does Jesus want this wedding feast to be the picture of what he's offering us? And just yesterday, I was at this... Beautiful wedding reception out on this gorgeous lawn in someone's estate. There was lobster, there was steak, there was clam chowder, there was kale, kale salad, which was actually pretty good, <laughs> tequila, wine. Wedding feasts are supposed to be lavish, right? And when I say costly, here's the greatest thing about a wedding feast. With the exception, traditionally, of the father of the bride, it's not costly, it's free! <laughs> All those delicious foods, this amazing party, and you don't get a bill at the end. What's Jesus telling us here? The kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like a wedding feast. It's costly to our father, but it's free to us. And what he's offering us, what's on the plates at the wedding feast Jesus is talking about here? It's not lobster and it's not steak. It's mercy and grace and forgiveness of sins. And the blessing of his presence. This is what's being offered when Jesus comes into the world as our bridegroom, taking us to himself. He throws a wedding feast. Now, you might think that the reception, the, uh, the invitations would be so well received when this gets announced in human history. But it doesn't exactly go that way. And God's heart is broken, as we're going to see in this story. I'm going to mix the metaphor here for just a moment. Imagine you're a mom and you've worked really hard at the Thanksgiving meal. You've had all the foods, the turkey and all the sides, and you've prepared it, and you're expecting your kids to come home from college. And they don't. And you've got all that food and all that atmosphere. How do you feel in that moment? This is instructing us of God's heart when he enters into the world as the great bridegroom and we refuse the invitation. Let's hear first the warning that comes to what Jesus might consider, what I would consider from this story, the insiders. The people who were first to be invited. The religious leaders probably is who he's talking to here. Let's pick up the story again in verse 2. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now, wedding feasts in Jesus' day were not just one day. They were several days long, three days of a party, sometimes seven days of a party. And this first invitation goes out, this word in verse 3, wedding feast, that's probably referring to like a brunch, like a kickoff meal for the series of parties that would come. But nobody came to that first invitation. Verse 4, again, he sent other servants. This already is an act of grace on the part of the king. They missed the first invitation, so they're getting another chance to come. Sent other servants, verse 4, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. What is this telling us here? Those people who might consider themselves religious insiders, the people who maybe have it all figured out. They get the invitation, the offer of the grace and mercy and forgiveness and loving kindness of God. And they effectively say, oh, thanks for the invitation, but I'm good. I'm all set. I've got my life figured out. The use of the phrase farm is interesting Because the cattle that would have been slaughtered for the wedding feast, all the foods, the bountiful foods that would have been prepared for the feast, those were grown on someone else's farm, the king, as it were. But the excuse for not coming to the party from some of them, they say, I need to go work my own farm. What is this telling us about how we... Functions sometimes with the invitation of God's grace. God offers us his righteousness. He offers us his grace and his love. And sometimes we say to him, you know what? I'd rather earn it myself. I'm going to go raise my own meal on my own farm. Thank you for the offer of the free meal. There's a chapter in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's a fascinating book. It's basically a, a series of conversations outside the gates of heaven. And there's all these excuses that are given by people that uh, uh, refuse refuse to go into heaven. They refuse the offer. And one of them, one of the conversations is somebody who says, if I can't earn it, I don't want it. And they don't get to go into heaven. This is basically what's happening here. I'm going to go work my own farm. Thank you very much. Verse 6. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. You know, Elizabeth was reading with such a sweet voice, but when we got to this part of the story, you're like, wait, what? (laughs) They did what? Possibly Jesus is referring here to what happened to John the Baptist. If it's true that the Bible is the story of God searching for a suitable bride for his son, then John the Baptist was one of the servants who went out to announce the groom is coming, Messiah is coming, Jesus is here. And what happened to John the Baptist? They seized him and they killed him. This would have been a bit of a surprise to God, the father and Jesus announcing the good news. The wedding feast begins. What are they doing with the servant who went out to declare? He's possibly talking about that. Verse seven, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. What what is Jesus talking about here? It's also possible that, um, that Jesus might have been prophesying in this moment. In the year 70 AD, which is right after the time of Jesus, the city of Jerusalem was besieged by the Romans and burned. So in the parable, in this picture that points to truth, what is this telling us about those who maybe are considering themselves insiders, the self-righteous ones, the, thing, the people who think they have it all figured out? Jesus is basically warning us insiders, by saying, if you think you have it all figured out, if you refuse the offer of my grace, you will eventually live with the consequences of your arrogance. And what are the consequences in the peril of this burning city? Well, in no uncertain terms, Jesus is pointing us to the fires of hell. We often think that the Bible threatens hell to those people who are just the crazy, off-the-wall sinners but this first warning is not for people like that. It's for religious people, the insiders who think they have it all figured out. Jesus is saying, be careful. That arrogance will lead you to have to pay the consequences if you refuse the offer of the grace and mercy and forgiveness and loving kindness of God. Anybody here think consider yourself like an insider? I was, I was reflecting on this myself. Um, what I consider myself an insider or an outsider what's probably pretty obvious the way I would self-identify here I I was born into a Christian home the youngest of four kids by the time I was born they were doing Bible reading at the dinner table every night I tell people I was born into a Bible study I was born into a life group David (laughs) I've been in a life group for 44 years now (laughs) my dad worked for the church We went on Sunday morning, we went on Sunday night, we went on Wednesday night, all the youth group mission trips, all the stuff. His dad, my grandfather, was a Baptist pastor in Virginia and then Michigan. His dad, my great-grandfather, was a Baptist minister. I'm a fourth-generation minister. I'm a quintessential insider. (laughs) (laughs) Card-carrying insider. And I hear this warning from Jesus. I'm uh, Just to really illustrate how much of an insider my life has been. When I was in high school, you know, I'd go to youth group and Young Life gatherings and all these things. And, you know, there'd always be that evening at camp where the talk would be the, the big come to Jesus talk. You know, give your life to Christ. And the leader would have us bow our heads in prayer. And this would be what I would be praying. It'd be like saying, yes, Lord, yes, Jesus. I pray for Joel over there. <laughs> he'd give his life to you tonight, and Sarah in the back row, she really needs you. <laughs> that, that was literally me, I'm embarrassed to say. It wasn't until later, it was in my 20s, it was in marriage, really, you know, the mirror of marriage, you know what I mean when I say that, those of you who are married, you get it, the mirror of marriage, it shows you your own flaws, that's when it finally dawned on me, I'm embarrassed to admit that, it finally dawned on me where I was like, oh, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. I, the, the sin of arrogance and of self-righteousness is just as ugly to God as any of those sins you see out there. And I realized, oh, you know what? I'm not an insider at all. I'm an outsider too. In fact, if I want to broaden that, I would suggest to all of us here, there are no insiders. There are only those who don't deserve The feast of God's grace. But even for those of us who are outsiders who don't deserve it, there's a warning for us too. Let's continue in this parable in verse 8. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. This phrase, main roads, is instructive. Picture the the trade routes that would go around the the big cities. You'd have people from all nations going on these trade routes with no religious background. Another way of phrasing it, maybe that would make sense to us, is he's saying, go to the street corners. And who do you picture on the street corners there? Jesus is saying, the insiders all refused. Go find me the outsiders. Go find me the riffraff and bring them in. We'll see if they want what I'm offering, this table of grace, this free gift. Go and find them. Verse 9, verse 10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Let's pause for a minute and just picture that wedding hall. See all those people in there from the main roads, from the nations, from the street corners. You know what this wedding hall is? This is this common phrase we're hearing all over the place right now in our culture. Diversity. Diversity, equity, inclusion. Have you heard this phrase? You can't miss it. Everywhere we go, we hear this phrase diversity, equity, inclusion, 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 inclusion. Jesus is saying, Yes, when you come to my table of grace, it will be a diverse group of people, people from every na- language, tribe, and tongue. But here is a big difference. And what happens next? We see a big difference with the type of inclusion that Jesus is talking about from the type of inclusion that's being talked about in our culture right now. There's a big difference. In our culture, it's basically just inclusion for the sake of inclusion, but in the Bible, it's inclusion into something. It's inclusion into Christ. Let's read about that because this is this, a warning, but it's, it leads to an invitation. Verse uh, eleven. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. A man who had no wedding garment. Now, in Jesus' time, when you came to a wedding feast, you were actually given a garment by the host. It was made out of linen, usually. If you remember, in Jesus' time, it's not like nowadays. We all have these closets full of various outfits. You know, some of us have a suit that we reserve for weddings or, you know, work clothes, workout clothes. They didn't have all that in Jesus' time. They had one outfit, most people that they would wear for everything. So when you came to a wedding, you would be given a linen garment that would cover the clothes you normally wear. So you'd have appropriate attire for the wedding. And the king looks and he sees someone who's come in who does not have the wedding garment. Uh Uh-oh, this would have been offensive to the host. Verse 12, he said to him, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless Verse 13, then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness, into that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Whoa, what just happened here? The host is so offended by this person refusing to wear the garment. Now, the parable is a picture that points to truth. So what is this telling us? What this is telling us is that when we come in, to the wedding feast, when we come into the family of God, when we follow Christ, when we commit our lives to Him, when we come and become members of a church, our identity changes. God gives us a new identity. He gives us that garment. It's not our identity to invent. This is the big difference between inclusion in Christ and inclusion that our world is talking about. You don't get to choose. You don't get to invent your own identity. You're given an identity. Listen, we're given an identity at creation. We're made in the image of God. We don't get to choose that one. And we're given a new identity when we come into the family of God through baptism. We don't get to invent that one either. We're given this cloak. We're given this garment. And if we refuse This is basically what Jesus is warning us against. Those of us, when we realize we are sinners in need of forgiveness, we're sinners in need of salvation, all the constructed identities we've made for ourselves out in the world, when we realize even so, we're invited into the feast, into the table of his grace. If we come to that party, and if we refuse to let God's grace change us, We will live with the consequences of that too. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. In both cases, the consequences are separation from God. The consequences are hell. And we offend the host. We offend our father when we say, you know what? I'd rather have my own identity. Thank you. I see the garment. You're prepared for me, but I like things my way. Jesus is saying, be warned. Now, what is this garment? What is the new identity we get? The rest of the New Testament actually describes it in full detail. It's beautiful. God, now those of you who are getting baptized in a few minutes, I really want you to pay attention to this part. Because this is what's happening for you today. We have 20-something people being baptized. 20-something people. Praise the Lord. Wow. Wow. I want you to pay attention to this part because what happens in baptism, according to Colossians and a couple of other places in the New Testament, it's like the old garment, our old self gets put to death. It stays in the waters of baptism. And as we emerge from the, the threshold of the water of baptism, we're given a new identity, a new garment. So listen to the description of the old and the new from Colossians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This is the old identity, the old cloak. Sexual immorality... I'm just going to make eye contact with people as I read all these words. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is envy. Kind of look everyone in the eye right now. Does anyone have envy in your heart? On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put them all away. Anger. I saw you in traffic this week. No. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk coming from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on, then. This is our cloak. This is the garment we're given when we come to the table of grace. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Christians, this is our identity when we come to Christ. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You can imagine, I didn't really realize that I was a sinner in my self-righteousness until I was married, as I said. And imagine if I realized that, if the mirror of marriage was held up in my face and I said, you know what, I'd rather keep being a jerk. That wouldn't have gone very well for Nancy and my marriage, right? This is what happens when we refuse to get this new garment on. Christians, listen, it says above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If you are a Christ follower, if you've come to this feast, this table of grace, if you've been included into the family of God and you don't have love and patience and forgiveness, then guess what? The warning is severe. The warning is strong. So put on this cloak. Whether you're being baptized today or you were baptized before, let this be a reminder of our identity, the identity that we've been given in Christ. We've been included into his family. So insiders, outsiders, I hope you heard the warnings. But way more importantly than that, I hope you heard the invitation. God is searching for a suitable bride for his son. We've been invited to the wedding feast, not just as a guest, but as the bride. And if we've refused it, or if we've said we don't really need it and we won't let it change us, now is a time to say, I'm sorry, Lord, I want to come back. Could there be another invitation for me? I'm coming now. And we're about to have communion together. We're all about to come to this feast of the communion table. It's not lobster and it's not steak, but it is very costly. In fact, it's more lavish and bountiful than the most amazing wedding party you've ever been to. And it cost our father dearly. It cost Jesus his own life. He laid down his life for us. He died in our place. And that's the bounty. That's the feast we're about to taste together. The unmerited, unearned forgiveness of our sins. So as you walk forward to this feast, will you say something in your heart? Say yes. Say yes. Don't say yes to the dress. Say yes to the garment. Say yes to the groom who's inviting us to this feast of his love. Amen.
0: To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.